All right, I have a, something I have to admit first. Usually the way this works when I get up here is the first thing I do is I look out and then I just start this wave of, it's, you guys are all like a blur of panic that there are so many of you. Um, but then as I, as I talk, um, I'll look out and every once in a while somebody will come into focus and I'll, it'll be somebody I know. I was like, wow, that, that guy is wonderful because of this or she did this great service for my kids because of that. And so I just, every once in a while, I'll catch these people. And, um, you know, you know God's got to be in this place because of the incredible people that um, he's brought here. And if you're visiting, um, we hope you, you find that uh, for yourself as well. All right, so now you're, I got an eye full of y'all and I'm ready to go. Okay. Um, good morning. In his excellent book, The Great Omission, Dallas Willard writes that in our society today, it's quite reasonable and quite common, actually, to be a vampire Christian. Willard says that a vampire Christian is someone who, in effect, by the way they live their life, says to Jesus, I'd like a little of your blood, please, but I don't care to be your student or have your character. In fact, won't you just excuse me while I get on with my life and I'll see you in heaven? Then Willard asks, can we really imagine that this is an approach that Jesus finds acceptable? Willard adds, when you stop to think about it, how could one actually trust Jesus for forgiveness of sins while not trusting him for much more than that? You can't trust him without believing that he was right about everything and that he alone has the key to every aspect of our lives here on earth. And if you believe that, you will naturally want to stay just as close to him as possible in every aspect of your life. As disciples, how can we stay as close to Jesus as possible in every area of our life? That's really been the focus of all the Sunday adult classes here at West Bowles during this year. We've been focusing on discipleship. Showing the desperate need for greater discipleship in our country today is the following quote we found from the Global Pastors Network, which says, There are 98 million men in America 18 years of age and older. Regrettably, 90 million of these men, 11 out of 12, are not involved in any kind of ongoing discipleship. Picture 11 golfers showing up on the first tee. They never practice. They never take a lesson. They never read a book. They never hit balls in the driving range. The results are predictable. So to gain more understanding of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, we've been looking in our class at what Jesus actually taught and commanded his first disciples in the New Testament. We studied Jesus's command to repent. We studied his directive to follow him. We studied the Last Supper and Christ's command to do it in remembrance of him. And more recently, we studied what is referred to in, in uh, the Ryrie Bible translation as the law of love which is found in Matthew chapter 5. And um, now in Matthew 5, Jesus is just beginning his earthly ministry, okay? And he looks out and he sees the crowds and, and the people are beginning to follow him. And he goes to a mountainside. He sits down and uh, uh, begins to teach his disciples by delivering what is commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount. And, and which is essentially a teaching from Jesus to his disciples on the fundamentals of righteous living, on what it means to live as a disciple. And found in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48, and printed on the uh, front of your bulletin this morning, is what I identified earlier as the law of love, where Jesus speaks. 
You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, uh, before we go any further, uh, let's pause for a word of prayer. Father, thank you for bringing us here this morning. Uh, and We pray that we would be open to your word. We pray that we would worship well. We pray that we would learn well. We pray that we would do well. And most of all, Father, we pray that we would love well. Thank you for this morning and for your word. In your name we pray. Amen. Now, I don't have a multi-part message uh, for you today. I want to make one point. It's only four words. And I think these four words sum up our scripture verse for, for today. And these four words are this. Perfect love is indiscriminate. Perfect love is indiscriminate. Look at your verse again at the primary way that um, perfect love is distinguished from any other kind of love. God shines the sun on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. As for us, we're to love our neighbors and our enemies. We're to warmly greet our brothers and those who we don't know well or know, well or know warmly. Perfect love does not discriminate. We don't give it or withhold it based on the character or the characteristics of the people to receive it. All right? Um, who they are, whether we know them, race, gender, income level, attractiveness, our circumstances or past experience with them, or whether they're driving the way they want, we want them to in traffic. That's the hard one for me. Perfect love is unrestrained. Perfect love is unrestrained. It is indiscriminate. Now, I'd like to share some photos with you from a part of the world that I believe may test this law of love the most. This first set of photos that I'd like to share is taken from the war-torn uh, Jewish and Muslim areas of the Middle East. And uh, they are sad, troubling, and difficult. They might make you uncomfortable. And while those photos may be troubling, I think we see them far more uh, than we realize in the media. And I think, I, I think they illustrate how this seemingly basic law to love indiscriminately is so difficult, so radical, and so important to live out today as disciples. That's the point of them, okay? That's the point. I'd also point out one other thing. Few of the people in the pictures you're about to see believe the same thing spiritually as you. Let's watch. Oh, my soul, I 
see images uh, like the ones you just saw all the time, don't we? In newspapers and magazines, on television uh, and on the Internet. So much so that I'm not even sure it always consciously registers with us. And remember, people in other parts of the world receive similar messages and images all the time, just like us, often from opposite points of view than we get. And we'd be crazy to think that all those stories, all those messages, all those images don't impact our perceptions and feelings of others and what others think of us. And skewed perception and the need to love greater and more indiscriminately as followers of Christ isn't just limited to how we feel about and how we relate with people who live on the other side of the world. It's a local law. It's a local law. It's a local call as well. Recently, Barna Research asked Christians and non-Christian teens to share their perceptions of Christianity. And one of the most common responses, one of the most common responses that that researchers heard was that Christianity today no longer looks like Jesus. What's the foremost way to look like, to distinguish ourselves as followers of Christ? By our love. We are to distinguish ourselves as followers of Christ, as disciples of Jesus By the indiscriminate love we extend to others. 
for more about the indiscriminate love of Jesus, I'd like to play for you now a small piece of, a, of an audio podcast from one of my favorite authors. His name is Brendan Manning. And, uh, and my wife found this on iTunes. So uh, here's Brendan Manning. And what's indiscriminate compassion? Take a look at a rose. Is it possible for a rose to say, I'm going to offer my fragrance to good people, but withhold it from bad people? Or can a lamp withhold its rays from the wicked, give its rays only to the good? Look how helplessly, how indiscriminately a tree gives its shade to everybody, good, bad, young, old. The tree even gives its shade to the man who's coming with an axe to cut it down. In the scriptures, this is the foremost quality of compassion. It's indiscriminate character. A couple of summers ago, Roswell and I take a play day back in New Orleans. We're down to the French Quarter, and we're roaming around at Jackson Square. We're sampling the gumbo, inhaling jambalaya. And we stop finally at a place I call the Shrine. I genuflect when I pass by it. It's the haagen ice cream parlor. Then I had a huge uh, proline pecan creole hot fudge sundae. And uh, that induced a little attack of the happies, a little short-lived seizure of pleasure. We turn the corner in Bourbon Street, and a girl about 21 years old walks up and pins a flower on both of our shirts. This is a brutally hot day in summer. It's about 98 degrees. And she asked if we'd like to make a donation to her uh, mission. Well, my wife reached out and embraced her. I reached out and embraced the two of them. And this girl asked, are you Christians? Rosalind said yes. When she lowered her head, we saw her tears fall on the sidewalk. She said, I've been on my mission here in the French Quarter for eight days now. You're the first Christians who've ever been nice to me. One woman looked at me with contempt. A man screamed at me, told me I was possessed by a demon. And one woman who told me that she was a Christian hit me on the head with her Bible. What makes the kingdom come is heartfelt compassion. It is the way that the lordship of Jesus over your life takes. It's a way of tenderness that knows no frontiers, no labels, no compartmentalizing, and no sectarian divisions. Who's the neighbor? The one who showed compassion. Then you go and do the same, because you'll never be more like Jesus. Never. That when you're choked with compassion with the brokenness of others. Last year I met a meeting with London and Philip Yancey, the well-known author, gives a talk and he said, why is it when you stop the average person on the street and ask them, what do you understand by an evangelical Christian? They reply, oh, they're for family values, they're against abortion and homosexuality. My God, what a tragic commentary. The day when people say those evangelicals are the most compassionate people I've ever met. If their Christ is like them, I want to get to know him. For examples uh, of the indiscriminate love, uh, of indiscriminate love, look no further uh, than the life of Jesus. Matthew chapter 8, verse 2. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him, and a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Not only was Jesus willing, but he reached out, Touch this man in compassion, a leper, and says, I am willing. Be clean. John 4 and the Samaritan woman at the well. This was a woman. Rabbis didn't talk to women. 
This was a Samaritan. Jews hated Samaritans. This woman was an adulteress. In Leviticus, adultery is punishable by death. uh, To this Samaritan woman, Jesus offers indiscriminate love, politically incorrect kindness, and the offer of living water to a Samaritan adulteress. Look at Matthew 9 and Matthew 12. To prostitutes, tax collectors, and sinners, Jesus teaches that he desires compassion and love, not sacrifice. The night he's betrayed, Jesus takes on the role of a servant and and, uh, washes the feet of his betrayer. To the very people who beat him and those who cry out for his execution, he offers in his dying breath forgiveness. Deeply radical, unmistakable, tenacious love for others, regardless of who they are, regardless of circumstance, how they feel about you, what they believe, how they look, what they've done, or how lovable lovable they seem to you. That's indiscriminate love. That's unrestrained love. And what's the reward? What's the point of abiding in Jesus' indiscriminate law of love? We see the answers in our verse this morning. In this deeply wounded, deeply fragmented, deeply fallen world, we distinguish ourselves as sons of our Father in heaven, and we take our Holy Father's mature and perfect love, and we make it ours. Another one of my favorite men of God said the following a few weeks ago, and it impacted me. He said, quote, Whether we're wildly passionate or quietly passionate, are you passionate about God, and does it show? In my opinion, he said, our faithfulness and our passion, it's the same thing. If we put our faith in Jesus, we put our passion in him. Can we live faithfully but without passion? It has to show in how we live our lives in loving God by loving others. The Apostle Paul took an entire city, he said, and turned it on its head for God. Why haven't we done the same thing in Littleton or Denver? Unquote. Those were the convicting words of Pastor Todd Lanting a couple of weeks ago in his sermon. I have a few more slides I want to show you, and they're also from the Middle East. And I, I don't think we see nearly enough of these photos in, in the media today. These photos are actually the reason why I initially felt compelled to study more about the law of love. Back before Easter, I was in the library doing some research, and I was in the stacks looking at pictures about the faiths of people in the Middle East. And as I looked at these pic- pictures of people living on the other side of the world, um, I, I was captivated by the thought as I looked at these pictures Father, how amazingly, how powerfully, and and how incredibly you must love these people. Um, And let's be very clear about something, um, about what we've talked about today in the pictures you're about to see. This is about indiscriminate love for people, not the way to salvation. I'm not advocating some universalist viewpoint that all roads or all faiths lead to heaven. I don't believe that. There is only one path to salvation, and that is through the atoning life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. This is not about salvation. It's about indiscriminate love for people, regardless of who they are, regardless of what they believe. Are are we clear? Okay. So I'm going to show you these pictures. Like earlier, very few of these people believe the same thing spiritually as you. And if you listen to these words of this song. It's a song I heard at a Promise Keepers conference a few years ago. And the words of this song are essentially a prayer that the character and characteristics of our Lord Jesus Christ 
would be our character and our characteristics. So let's watch and listen. story on the internet about a man named Doug Nichols. And back in 1967, Doug Nichols was served as a missionary in India, even though he, he didn't speak the language at all. And uh, while there, he contracted tuberculosis. 
And uh, he had to be admitted to an old hospital there. And the conditions in this hospital were positively awful. And uh, while he was in the hospital, he tried to evangelize the staff and the patients there by sharing pamphlets uh, that, were, that were written in, in uh, their native language about the message of Christ. And uh, nobody wanted to hear anything that this American had to share about Jesus or anything else for that matter. And uh, late one night, Nichols was uh, awakened by one of his usual tuberculosis-related uh, coughing fits. And while he was awake, he noticed another patient. This was, this was a big room with lots of bed in it, beds in it. And he noticed another patient in this huge room who would re- repeatedly struggle in the middle of the night to get out of bed, fall again because he wasn't strong enough. And uh, he'd end up lying defeated in his bed, just weeping softly. And the next day, Nichols watched as every, everyone was incredibly mean to this man because he smelled awful. The man, th- this patient, terribly embarrassed, just curled up into a ball and wept. Well, the next night, Nichols woke up again with another one of his coughing fits, and he noticed the same man doing the same thing. That's when Nichols, Nichols realized that this poor, foul-smelling man, who everyone hated, had, had just been trying to go to the bathroom. And, uh, and while extremely sick himself, Nichols was moved with indiscriminate love and compassion for this fellow patient. And uh, so he got himself out of bed, and, and he went to help. Nichols practically had to carry this man to the bathroom, hold him, and then carry him back to bed. And, and the next morning, another man, or early in the morning, approached Doug Nichols and kindly offered him some tea, and he asked for a pamphlet uh, about Jesus. And uh, word began to spread throughout the hospital about what uh, Doug Nichols had done. And pretty soon, almost everyone in the hospital ward uh, wanted more information about Jesus because they'd seen the Father's indiscriminate love and compassion demonstrated in the life of one of his servants. That's the power of abiding in God's perfect law of love. And to conclude, let me ask you a question. Do you know how much, how tenaciously, how tenaciously God loves you? In spite of your past, in spite of your present, things that you've done, your circumstances, how much God loves you just the way you are right now. So much that he'd send his good and perfect son to die, to redeem you and die for your sins. God loves you so tenaciously, so indiscriminately. And that's how tenaciously and indiscriminately he loves those around us as well. And he calls us to love him so much, so greatly, that we'd love others, all others, in that mature and perfect way too, and make his love ours. Um, now I'm going to close this in prayer, and then, and then after we finish, um, Pastor George has some announcements, so stay in your seats uh, until after we finish, but let's pray. Um, Father, what a crazy world. And into this crazy world, uh, your greatest commandment would be something so radical as to love people regardless of where they're at and regardless of how they, what they are. And Father, that you began by doing that for us, by doing that for me. Thank you so much. Father, may we love you enough. May we, may we love you enough that we would extend that same, same indiscriminate love to others, Father, because we love you. And we want to show you that we love you that much by loving in that way as well. Father, thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.